Welcome to this podcast series from Review of Optometric Business. I'm Roger Mummert, Content Director. In this session, we'll speak with Dr. Penn Moody, who practices in Indianapolis, and Dr. Mick Kling, who practices in San Diego. We're going to discuss the clinical mindset and the business mindset, how an OD owner of an optometric practice needs to master both sides of this equation for practice success. Today we have uh, Dr. Kling with us and Dr. Moody with us, and we're going to talk about uh, insights and, and viewpoints of doctor owners first. And uh, Dr. Moody, you have, a, you have an idea that there are two different insights, two different mindsets that doctors have. Describe that to us a little bit. So what I've found through my career is that you have a clinical mindset and you have a business mindset. And I used to think that those were kind of similar, but I don't think so anymore. I think they're very dissimilar or different. The clinical mindset is designed to not let any problems or complications or variables impact a great outcome for every patient. That's our goal as a clinician. As a business person, you're always trying things that may not work. So you're doing controlled risk, if you will, controlled, try and, you know, put so much money up, so much time and see what happens and then either do more of it or say it wasn't successful. But that's not really good. And and the example that I use a lot of times with with people when I talk about it is that um, imagine you're a brain surgeon and you walk out and say, well, Mick, you know, we did surgery on your daughter and mm-hmm. yeah, we tried some things, didn't work out so well, she died, but we learned some stuff mm-hmm. and, and we'll do better next time. That doesn't work in a clinical set, no. but it works all the time in a business set. Right. So that's kind of the difference for me. Very good. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's really an insightful way to think of it because as you and I talked before, I've always thought about that as a sort of the differences in our DNA. Um, and as we've sort of been thinking about this, it's, uh, it's become evident that we all kind of start off maybe with a clinical mindset and then we start to divert based on some of the interests that we might have right. in our practices. Yeah. And I also think that some people, as, as we've talked about, can't make that, can't cross the bridge, mm-hmm. as I like to say. Some people can, and some people just are really, they're so into the clinical mindset, which is not bad. It's for patient care. It's really what we do. Right. But they can't really do the business. Nor do they want to. Yes. You know, there, there, is, uh, there are a lot of, uh, of our colleagues out there that really just don't have any interest whatsoever and just don't want to involve themselves in the business side of what they're delivering and are perfectly happy about that. So the question is, how do we identify who those people are? Right. Do you have a way of doing that when, like, I know you do a lot of consulting stuff. So, so we, we look at it from the perspective of what's the doctor doing in the exam room? And the best place to look at is the case presentation okay. because the case presentation is where the doctor pulls everything together and presents it to the, uh, to the patient. Well, many times the doctor will skip obvious things because the doctor has made some internal decision, a lot of times based on finance. I don't think they can afford it, so I'm not even mm-hmm. going to present it. And so when you look at that case presentation and you come back to that doctor and say, best practices, doctors who, who function the best and give the best patient care, often use this kind of an approach in the exam room. It's not unusual for the doctor to say, well, yes, I agree with that. I think I want to do that too in my exam room. And then they go back into the exam room and once that door shuts, they're back into their old habits. That's a doctor that's stuck in the clinical world and not stuck very well in that clinical world because they're missing things. They're Mm -hmm. missing things that that, uh, should be fixed. Do you find that um, some doctors don't, how do I say this? I, is there a compensation issue 
with that and how they're yeah. compensated. Does that change their mindset some? There are two camps. Okay. One, one yes, and, okay. and the other no. And, and the no people are interesting. They have some sort of paradigm in their head that I don't want to be perceived as selling anything mm -hmm. to the patient, even if it's in the patient's best interest. Mm -hmm which to me is, I don't get that. If, if I can help a patient have a higher quality of life, I'm not trying to sell them something they don't need, I'm trying to improve their quality of life. Right. And there are some docs who just look at anything above and beyond the minimum as selling, and that's just, that, that, that's just it doesn't make sense to me, but that exists. There are doctors out there who do that. Yeah, and I think this profession attracts um, personalities and individuals that really have a desire to help people. Yes. Like they really feel like we want to do what's right for the patient. And so sometimes those little voices um, are telling us, well, what about their pocketbook? Isn't this going to maybe hurt them financially if I'm recommending something? Even if I intellectually know that this might be better for them, you know, it might kind of create some financial crisis or some financial stress for them. And forgetting that really what our role is to, is to deliver that higher, right. higher level of care. Yes. And, um, and so to your point, Mark, that those, there are clearly lots of docs that operate that way. And then we have the other, other extremes, which are, right. uh, you know, the ones that will sell anything to anybody. Uh, but I think the majority of the doctors that I see sort of fall in this, in this middle range, which means that you're still losing a lot of opportunity. Absolutely. On the one end. Do you... You, you brought up an interesting point, I think, because what the clinical mind, I've never thought of this, but the clinical mindset is about making decisions for the patient. Mm -hmm. This is the type of surgery you need. This is a procedure you need. This is that. The business mindset is presenting the opportunity for the customer, patient, client to make their own decision. Or to mm -hmm. take it even a step further from what the bare minimum is to improve their quality of life. If I right. come to you and I say to you, I'm having trouble because every night at four o'clock when I drive home, I'm driving due west directly into the sun and I have a raging headache when I get home. Well, obviously we would all think mm -hmm. about polarized sunwear might help you uh, improve right. your quality of life. But there are some doctors that go, no, you just need to updo your, uh, your dress glasses. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. no, yeah. no, no, this is a, this is a bigger issue. Yeah. It's interesting to me that sometimes what happens, and this happens more in staff, I think, than doctors, but it does happen in doctors is they're at a low financial point in their life and they project their own financial Absolutely. situation upon the patient. And I think we've got to get past that and realize we're not the patient's banker, we're the patient's eye care professional. Handle it on that level, let the money be dealt with some other way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all about value, right? And, yes. and the, the, the speed of the team is the speed of the leader. And so when the leader in that organization, which is generally the doctor, has the mindset of not seeing the value in the things that they're delivering, that's gonna to transfer to the team members. And of course, that's clear, clearly evident to the patients that come in. So yeah. getting the doctors to understand their critical role in creating the value in not only the products and the services that we offer is immensely important uh, to driving success. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think in the staff, because we have more than one doctor, of course, and one of our doctors is more the clinical yes. mindset. Mm -hmm. And the staff, he drives the staff crazy. Yes. Because they're they're used to me and they're used to Dr. Lambert. And then all of a sudden they get him and it's like, Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think that if you develop a staff that has that kind of mindset, you have to be careful about who you put, as you say, in front of them as mm -hmm. as the leader. 
Well, leadership is contagious, yes. right? Yes, it is. We're contagious to our team members, and we attract the types of patients that are relate to us. Right. So we create this little microcosm of little mini us. And so we create this culture that's really centered around the leader of the organization, good or bad. Because we all know, you ask a doc, right. what's the number one problem in your practice? It's staff problems. Well, if you really peel that back, it's usually a leadership problem. Yes. And so understanding the role of the leader in the organization and that kind of the influence that they have on not only their team, but also the types of patients that they're attracting, um, you know, it can be a game changer for some doctors when they understand that there's a potential to change what's within and impact everybody around you. So I think that's really insightful. And one of the things that, that we find is, is that the, the doctor leads the staff and ultimately everything that happens, good or bad, comes back to the doctor. So yeah. I always say everything's my fault. Yes. Good or bad, yeah. it's yes. my fault. Yes. And I remember, I, I, I kind of remember a uh, um, Alabama coach, I can't think of his name, for years. Bryant. Yeah, Bear, Bear Bryant. Bryant. He used to say it's easy because they ask him, how do you manage a football team? When we win, they did it. <laughs> when we tie, we did it. And when we lose, I didn't prepare them well enough. It's mm -hmm. very good. And that's, yeah. that's his, yeah. and I've always kind of lived by that. You know? That's very good. So I tell my staff when they're having problems, you know, there's only two things that can be wrong. One is you're not trained properly. That's my fault. We're going to fix that. Or two, you really can't do this well. And yeah. we're going to find another place for you to do something yeah. that mm -hmm. fits in better. That's good. Michael Gerber in his E-Myth series mm -hmm. I've read says that. you are the practice and the practice is you. If yeah. you're having trouble communicating with family members at home, you're having trouble in the yeah, practice communicating absolutely. with staff members or, exactly. patients. Yeah. or patients. Likewise, if you're having financial problems in the practice, you are having financial problems at home too. Right. And I, th I think seeing that whole loop and understanding how that whole thing fits together is important. Yeah. yeah. I, I really love... I, I really love this idea that you've come up with this differences in mindset, clinical mindset and a business mindset. And um, as I'm sitting here listening and thinking about this, how do we, as leaders of our industry, how do we help doctors understand where they are on that continuum? Like, yeah. wouldn't that, would it be beneficial if we all understood where we were in that continuum and maybe where we need to go? So we, we use what's called the DISC profile. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those that aren't familiar, there's the D is for decisiveness, the I is for interaction, the S is for steadiness, and the C is for compliance. And it's a zero to 100 scale. And we run one on everybody before we hire them. And we've actually not hired people because they mm -hmm. don't fit in. But mostly it's to find out where they are. And sometimes as you learn people, you can say, well, that's just Mick being Mick. Because you can just understand that's right. how you're going to react. Then other times it's like you've got to get you've got to get the right people in the right position, and we found, for example, I have a friend that has a uh, we ran a disc on him and he has like a ninety eye, so he goes in the bar and in ten minutes he knows everybody in their mm -hmm. story and I'm going like why <laughs> yeah you know but that's not necessarily the best person in the office because they don't always get everything done right so it's all that balance so we've run that and what we found is. They have a, uh, are you familiar with it? Yes, are you familiar with it? Okay. Yep. So it's, they've got an adapted and a natural yes. uh, result. And the natural result is who you really are. And the adapted is your last six months. Yeah. And when you find, and I, we ran some, we ran on somebody that ran one like 10 years before and his natural was almost exactly the same. Okay. 
And so that's kind of who they are. And we have a saying in our office, Bill Parcells, the football coach. Mm -hmm. We don't even say the quote anymore because we just say Bill Parcells. And it's, if you watch and listen, players, and I use people, will we'll show you who they are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which we know. The second sentence is the important one. It's unrealistic of you to expect them to be anything else. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so we really use that tool, not as the final answer, but as a real tool to get to understand how people interact. And it's been really helpful for us. We've been yeah. using it for almost 10 years now. Yeah, the, the other value of that is when you have an organization that understands that, that there are differences in communication styles in particular, and you've identified those, then it makes communication, in theory, easier. Right. If, if you have someone with some emotional intelligence to understand, you know, there are differences in, in our yeah. personalities and our hardwiring. And so maybe I need to communicate a little bit differently with this person if I want to be able to get my point across or if I want to be effective in my communication with them. That's a really big it's point tough. because a lot of people think that they need to change for me. Sure. And, and no, no. We are the eye care professionals. It's our job, doctors and staff, to change for the patient. Right. And I think when you get past that mindset, all of a sudden you have great communication with, yeah. with somebody that you maybe felt was standoffish or not willing to accept the treatment plan. And all of a sudden now you've got a good communication line. Yeah. What you said is really interesting be, to me because you have to adapt as a clinician to every patient comes in and you have yes. all these different mm -hmm. patients coming in. You don't give them a disc profile and say, well, you can't be a That's patient because right. right. you don't fit, <laughs> right? So you have to adapt. But then you also have to adapt to the to your staff yes. in the same way, to yes. a point, Yes. to a point. Yeah. Because I think you have to be careful about going and then ending up with staff that really it doesn't reflect what you want to do. So it's a combination of both. So when you get into these kinds of tools and using them inside the practice, you really have two options. One option is I can take my strength and attack your weakness, mm -hmm. or I can look at my weakness and say, I need your strengths right. to help build us up. Right. And that's going to pull us together as a team better and make us stronger, make us more effective, make the job get done better. Yeah. So I have a, a very low S. Mm -hmm. my, my wife calls it the mercy S. It's so <laughs> yes. low. Um, and so I tell my staff point blank, I mean, I go around and create chaos and you guys go around and, and clean it up after mm -hmm. me. That's good. Because that's who I am and I'm not going to change that right. that much. So I get people, and I think you're 100% right, you get people that fill in your weaknesses. Yeah. I've, I've read some stuff and they say, you know, if you really work on your weaknesses, you can become average. That's good. But if you work on your strengths, you can become great. So get somebody else to do your weaknesses yes. and give That's it good. to them. Yeah. Have you guys ever experimented with other personality style types uh, to see if they align? One of the things we've done a few different ones in our practice. And one of the things that I've noticed is that there is a limited number of personality styles and they're fairly accurate in aligning. Some of the labels are slightly different, but the behaviors are are yes. very similar. Have you guys ever experimented with anything besides, let's say, the DISC profile? There's that. Briggs? Myers-Briggs Myers -Briggs. is out there, but that gives you 16 different possibilities and it's just way too, too much, much to keep yeah. in your mind, in the head of, of, of dealing in the, in the chaos of, of practice. Um, we internally liked Florence Litauer's approach mm -hmm. um, simply because it was so communicable. Powerful, perfect, yep. playful, and peaceful. You did a presentation at a we did. Uh, thing I went, you and Carol, and it was yeah. great. Yeah. And we found that it really is sorting out the dominant and secondary for the person. I, I, I'm a powerful, playful. Now you know all you need to know about me because yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell people what to do, and I'm going to do it and have fun while yep. I do it. 
My wife is a perfect powerful. It means that she wants everything done, all the T's crossed, yep. all the I's dotted. Oh, by the way, don't forget the small J's and the, and the mm -hmm. F's. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she's, when someone else doesn't step up and take the dominant role, she does, mm -hmm. you know? And so you look at that and you figure out, and we had fun with this with staff. Here's, here's what we are as doctors. Here's what you are as staff. Where do we work together best? Where do we break down? Mm -hmm. And the most important discussion is how do you fix it? Because we're going to deal with that with each other every single day. We're going to spend more time with staff during waking hours than we will at home with our family. So right. we better fix that. Yeah, or at least accept it. Yeah. Because I think part of it is fixing it, but part of it is, again, saying that's the way Mark is. That's the way yes. Mick is. That's the way Penn is. So we're going to accept the fact that once in a while you're going to walk out and, and leave and not finish your chart and... We'll just tell you, come on back and do your chart. That's right. And That's you're going right. to do this, and I'm going to mm -hmm. do something, and you just have to kind of live with it. I would have a staff member come stand before the next door before I could go and see the patient. They would hand me the chart and go, finish it now. Oh, did you <laughs> really have that? Yeah. See, I didn't know that. I just kind of made that up. That was good. That so was do, it was good. <laughs> do you guys, um, what, so once you've identified in your practice, let's take your staff, for instance, you've identified all these different personality uh, profiles. Do you have a formal way that you communicate those results to the to your team and then you guys discuss it and share that? So we're right in the process of the beginning of doing this again. We've done it periodically. Mm -hmm. and, and there's actually with the people we use, there's a tool called Team Builder and you can put the uh, profile for each person on top of each other. So you start to see how you fit together. And um, we're in the process of starting to meet individually with them and then we're gonna meet as a group and over yeah. it all but i want to talk to them individually because i want to show them theirs and other people's yes so we can have a real frank discussion without, without that and I, one of the things i've found is that me spending personal time with each staff member yes. is huge yeah just five minutes very strong five yeah. five or ten yeah. minutes just a little bit and i'll just say hey come on in the exam room for a minute we got a few minutes and we'll talk about something and um it really helps, and it makes you human. It makes me human. Yeah, it's you're a, already human, it's but it makes me human. Part, yeah, right? it's it's allowing us to be able to connect to them on a different level than just an employer, yes, employee basis, and that that builds a relationship and it builds trust. Right. Yeah, I'm convinced that practice is really about relationships. Yeah, because once you well, get so to, so is eye care. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. It's all the same thing. It's, it's all just the same thing. different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much. Appreciate your insights and appreciate your thoughts. That was very helpful. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Please watch for other podcasts from Review of Optometric Business.